Good morning and welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And yes, the solo show this week. A couple of things I really wanted to delve into, probably off the radar screen, but the things that I think are the behind the scenes, off the reservation type political stories where we can see what's really going on in the country in a way. And uh, first and foremost, I want to take you to the woke liberal bastion of San Francisco, California. Yes. San Francisco, California, in my mind, had the most interesting political story of this week, a recall election for school board that took place. We called three school board members who basically closed the schools for, oh, I don't know, more than a year. I mean, during the pandemic, three of them were ousted. Collins, Lopez, and Moliga. 79% voted to remove Collins. 75% Lopez, 73% to move Moliga. Those are massive numbers when you think about it. And it's one of the most liberal cities, as we well know, as everybody knows, San Francisco, liberal home, Nancy Pelosi, a place where criminals routinely walk into a store and walk out with merchandise, don't pay for it. Nobody does anything about it. Their retail stores are closing. Well, parents apparently were fed up and they finally had enough. And California has recall and they were decided to get rid of these school board members. Now, famously, I think we alluded to this back last year, In as San Francisco schools were closed, they didn't even reopen until August of 2021. Think about that. They were closed essentially from March 2020 to August 2021. I mean, incredible when you think about it, that you know, no in-person learning. We'll leave that aside in general, but they did find time during that time to, of course, rename the schools under some very dubious historical wokeism, we'll call it, or holier than thouism. But let's just go through a couple of the names of figures that did not beat the board standards, who they identified problems with and they voted to remove them from the pantheon, essentially, of American history, of the kind of people that we should be looking towards for our pe- our children should find inspiration to, from, that is, Abraham Lincoln. Well, yes, I mean, Abraham Lincoln, of course. Not sure what his crime was. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, John Muir. Hard to argue with the guy who... Saved the forest. Robert Louis Stevenson, Paul Revere, and Diane Feinstein, a Democratic senator from the great state of California. A panel had determined the 44 schools, more than one-third of the city's total, were named after figures guilty of being variously, and I don't make this up, colonizers, slave owners, exploiters of workers, oppressors of women, children, or queer and transgender people, people connected to human rights or environmental abuses, and espousers of racial beliefs. 
So aside from this just being a laugh line, I it's it's just incredible when you think about it that this is what they were engaged in. Instead of getting the schools open, instead of finding a way to get kids back into the classroom, they instead wanted to have a school memes advisory committee and they were essentially going to get rid of American history at the same time. Now, you might wonder, okay, George Washington, slave owner, but Lincoln wasn't. I mean, let's try and remember, if we can remember our history, that Abraham Lincoln was the guy who emancipated the slaves. Let that sink in. So what is it exactly that you would have a beef with him? Hard to understand. I mean, what do they just look? They they go on Twitter and just find out somebody who said something negative about Lincoln? It's almost comical when you think about it that these pe- these are people in charge of your children's education, of the children's education of our country. That they kept the schools closed at the same time they were engaged in this other, utter nonsense. And it's a good thing. I mean... of the people voting to recall the school board president essentially means that 20% had confidence in her. It's a pretty low number when you think about it. And is there a balance that anybody actually has when you think about it? Okay, you know, let's take it. Jefferson... Washington, slave owners. Yes, they own slaves. Horrible. Slavery is a sin. Stain on the American history. But context, times, if you will, does the good that they did in founding this great country outweigh what had happened at the time? It's just, it's hard to understand that these are the people in charge of education. But of course, as we know, we know from like the Virginia election that the way the liberals think about schools is that you have to be in this wokeism zone in order to be the ones having a say, that parents should not have a say, that people with sanity and common sense should not have a say. It should be these extremists who feel that Abraham Lincoln should not have his name on a school. They should be the ones in charge of education. Second important and a very important story of the day. We have come now to our 30th retirement or let's just say. Not necessarily retirement. Some are seeking other office. The 30th Democrat in the House, not seeking re-election, is my own Congresswoman Kathleen Rice from the 4th District of the great state of New York, representing Nassau County, pretty much the entirety of the town of Hempstead. And Rice joins, I, you know what's probably worth it to go through this list at this point. Kathleen Rice of New York, not seeking re-election. Jim Cooper of Tennessee. Jerry McNerney of California. Jim Langevin of Rhode Island. We're just reading the Democrats here, not the Republicans. Ed Perlmutter of Colorado. Brenda Lawrence of Michigan. Bobby Rush of Illinois. 
Albi Osiris of New Jersey, Lucille Roy- Royval Allard of California, Stephanie Murphy of Florida, Alan Lowenthal of California, Peter DeFazio of Oregon, G.K. Uh, Butterfield of North Carolina, Jackie Spear of California, Michael Doyle of Pennsylvania, David Price of North Carolina, John Yarmouth of Kentucky, Ron Kind of Wisconsin, Sherry Bustos of Illinois, Kevin Bray, uh, no, he's a Republican, sorry, Philemon Vela of Texas, and Kirkpatrick of Arizona, Eddie Bernice Johnson of Texas. Couple looking for the Senate. They're also leaving the House, though. Peter Welch going for the Senate of in Vermont to repet, replace Pat Leahy. Counter Lamb seeking a Senate seat in Pennsylvania in Pennsylvania. And Val Demings seeking a Senate seat in Florida against Marco Rubio. Tim Ryan, Senate seat in Ohio, being vacated by Rob Portman. Tom Swazi running for governor in New York. Charlie Crist running for governor in Florida. Anthony G. Brown in leaving Maryland. Karen Bass running for mayor of Los Angeles in California. That is 30 Democrats not running for re-election to the House. Do you think they know something that we don't know right now as far as the prospects? It's it's really hard to see what's going on. And, you know, a lot of some Democrats seem to have their head in the sand as far as what Democrats should be doing in order to govern. And most people know that, you know, at least we say all the time, try and govern from the center, try and grab the center. There are still thousands and millions of independent voters out there who want a politics that works, wants people to Reach across the aisle is kind of one of those things that more of a cliche, but actually gets stuff done. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where politics isn't right now. Uh, But we talked about Cori Bush last week, who just seems to not get the message. Let's continue to say defund the police. And I want to read a great interview. Well, from a great interview. That AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, gave to the New Yorker this week. And she talked about a couple different things. Um, But, you know, she kind of dismissed the idea that uh, Eric Adams is, you know, kind of a centrist, uh, which is kind of funny in a way. Uh, Kind of dismissed his idea that he was... You know, kind of governing from the center and that criminal justice is a big issue, essentially said, well, you know, young men, you know, they're, they're committing a lot of violence these days, but, you know, things are rough out there. Let me get that exact quote because I thought it was kind of interesting in a way where she goes, Of course, she makes no mistake. Well, okay. These are young men. These are boys. The surge of violence is driven by young people, particularly young men. And we allow the discourse to make it sound as though it's like these shady figures in the bush jumping out from a corner. These are young men. They are These are boys. We are also not discussing the mental health crisis that we are experiencing as a country as a result of the pandemic. 
Once again, the reason that there's crime is because of the pandemic. It's just not that there are criminals out there. They're just young men. They're just regular people. And they just engage in violence somehow, just on their own. It's not crime. It's just violence. And we have to go ahead and reduce incidents of violent crime, violence interruption programs, summer youth employment. Now, I think that's a good idea. But that doesn't mean we should excuse and get rid of our criminal justice system because in the end, people commit crimes should be prosecuted. That's the job of government to protect people from people, other people who are committing crimes. Now, I want to get into another issue that she talked about because she, they, she was asked about cancel culture and I'll segue to this to kind of another piece here of what wokeism gone amok. It's not just in San Francisco. It's elsewhere, even in the middle of the country, even in Texas. Uh, so we're talking – so she was asked about cancel culture. And the question is why do we focus on AOC? You know, she's not really powerful in the traditional sense. But she has this ability to kind of move the conversation in a way that I think is very noteworthy. And when she says things that gets attention, she is very media savvy, very social media savvy. And does get attention to very in a way that new newly elected members of Congress are have been unable to do. And for that, you give her credit, and for that, you have to acknowledge her, and you have to you don't ignore her in a way that the things that she said, well, they matter because they matter to a lot of Americans. So she's talking about cancel culture, and. I mean, this is really an incredible answer. When she talks about, you talk about cancel culture, but notice that those discussions only go one way. We don't talk about all the people who were fired. We just kind of talk about like right-leaning podcast bros and more conservative figures. But, for example, Mark Lamont Hill was fired from CNN for discussing an issue with respect to the Palest- to Palestinians. Pretty summarily, there was no discussion about it, no engagement, no thoughtful discourse over it, just pure accusation. Well, see what she did here. She talked about cancel culture, and she found one person who was canceled, quote-unquote, or as in fired. What did Mark Lamont Hill say? He said that Palestine should be free from the river to the sea. What does that mean? Marco Montill feels that the state of Israel should not exist. Now, the question was, was CNN going to have on air as a commentator someone who took such an extreme position on the Palestinian conflict? if you will, but calling for a free Palestine. He didn't call for a new two-state solution. He did not call for peace between 
Israel and the Palestinians. He did not call for an end to the conflict. He, a media studies professor at Temple University, said that Israel should no longer exist. And who uses this type of language? Well, that's Hamas and other terrorist groups who seek to end the state of Israel. And this is kind of thing where this is the kind of thing where now we veer into the idea that the main that AOC is going that the mainstream Zionists and we've talked about this a little bit the mainstream Zionists those who are not the right wing Zionists but the regular Jews are trying to cancel these types of voices. And, you know, she says, well, it was disgusting an issue with respect to Palestinians. And that's not really what it was. He was discussing an issue that the Jewish people should not be afforded the right to have a homeland, to have a state of their own. And obviously, once again, that's wokeism gone amok. Now, if you think that somehow AOC would be in some way more acceptable to the far left, to the Democratic Socialists of America, of which she is a member... Let's talk for a second about what happened to her this week in Austin, Texas. She goes down to campaign for Greg Kasar, congressional candidate, who was part of the Austin Democratic Socialists of America. And Greg Kasar, who had been a, a endorsee, became an unendorsee of the Democratic Socialists of America after giving an interview accepting a two-state solution, accepting Israel's right to exist. Now, one would think that acknowledging the state of Israel and allowing the state of, would not be that controversial. It's not like you can, he's calling for the Palestinians to never have a state, a one-state solution, Palestinians to be expelled or any of those things. He is just essentially saying that, Israel, that both nations, as he said in the interview, both nations deserve to live in peace and security, and that the clearest path toward achieving that goal is through a two-state solution. He also said that he does not support BDS. So, of course, the Austin's DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America chapter, went nuts, and... They said that, forget about it, you're out. And he said, I write to you, and he said, I write to you to respectfully withdraw from the Austin DSA endorsement, Kesar wrote. I remain deeply appreciative of the work we have done together, but while I did not have the same policy stance on issues like BDS, I remain committed to conversations and working to improve the lives of the Palestinian people. And then, what did they respond, the DSA? 
Hesar's statements on Israeli defense spending are not reconcilable with DSA's stance in solidarity with Palestine. We have a long history of working with Greg Kesar on progressive policies, but we will no longer be working with his campaign as an organization. So then, what happened? On Saturday, AOC was down there, and she got heckled at an event. And AOC said, in her defense, in her own defense of being there, because they were said that they were not pro-Palestinian, you know, Kesar is no-go because he supports a two-state solution. And AOC said, believing in basic human dignity and the ability for a person to not be jailed or beaten for who they are, it does not mean that you are bigoted against any other community, she said. And we got to call that for what it is. We need to remember that the people who are taking those tough votes are disproportionately black, brown, and women members of Congress carrying the fire. She's talking about the squad. She's talking about her colleagues who are taking these brave votes against Israel and for Palestine in the Congress. She compared the situation of Palestinians to undocumented immigrants detained on the U.S. southern border, saying, I don't believe that a child should be in a cage on our border. I don't believe that a child should be in a cage in the West Bank, as if children are in cages in the West Bank. Ocasio's office did not respond when asked on Monday to provide examples of children being imprisoned in cages in the West Bank. She said, if you want to make that reality happen, it's not going to happen on the Internet. We need to educate people what's going on because a lot of us didn't grow up in households where the issue is discussed. Let's knock on doors and make it work and raise the consciousness. We can't get distracted fighting one another, she said, because she was obviously unhappy about being heckled at this event about being told that she wasn't pro-Palestine enough. She added that discord, meaning fighting amongst within the DSA, has been intentionally sowed throughout U.S. history to make sure we get slowed down in the fight. So I won't run it, will not run away from accountability, but I would not allow us to get distracted either. So, the essential thing here is that she tries to please a right. I'm sorry, left-wing lunatic fringe of the party. In fact, you know, she comes from the DSA. And it's not good enough. They are tech, they are heckling her, and they are telling her, essentially, she's not woke enough. And who else are they doing it to? Another member of the squad, Jamal Bowman of the Bronx in Westchester. What does she say? Oh, I'm sorry. What happens with Jamal Bowman? Jamal Bowman, after he had kind of run into a foul of the DSA because he visited Israel. He went to Israel. Jamal Bowman now plans to withdraw his support and vote against bipartisan legislation aimed at strengthening and expanding the Abraham Accords. He sent a letter to various constituents. 
Now, the Abraham Accords made peace between Israel and various Arab countries. How can, what can somebody find fault in that? How does somebody find fault in that exactly? Okay, normalized relations between Israel, the UAE, Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan, kind of quasi. Bowman signed on to this bill in September 2021 following its introduction. Bowman traveled to Israel and then got in trouble for going on a J Street Trump-sponsored trip, I should point out, from the DSA. And now he's decided that peace between the Abraham Accords, which promotes peace between Arab countries and the state of Israel, it's not good. We're not going with that. And why he said we need to have solidarity with the people of Western Sahara because part of that deal was that Morocco would be part of Western Sahara and we would recognize, the U.S. would recognize that. So it's, yeah. (laughs) I'm almost at a loss of the idea that a sitting member of Congress, one represents a sizable Jewish community, would take such a step to essentially say, I have to, the groups that I work with, instead of calling them out for what it is, meaning no Israel, no visiting Israel, no reconciliation with Israel, essentially the only acceptable solution for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is to eliminate Israel. You're not calling out those groups. Instead, we're bowing to those groups. Instead, we're saying, oh, don't attack us. There's nothing AOC with all her ability to explain things. When she picks on cancel culture is somebody who called for Palestine from the river to the sea, for Israel to be eliminated. And that seems to be the goal. Of course, that's the goal, stated goal of the DSA. But that seems to be, in the end, though they deny it, that seems to certainly be the goal of the squad. A number of rabbis wrote to Bowman and said to him how disappointed they were because, of course, the Abraham Accords were hailed widely with strong bipartisan support as a breakthrough in Middle East diplomacy that even Democrats who kind of hated Trump passionately thought that the Abraham Accords were quite incredible, remarkable. And they've been welcomed by Middle East policy experts, Democrats and Republicans alike. And then they said they had a meeting with Bowman in September of 2021 and his chief of staff to encourage support for, for this act, which known as the Israel Relations Normalization Act, Can't think of a better name than that. We were further heartened by the congressman's visit to Israel and the West Bank in November 2021. And they say, Representative Bowman's reversal on normalization is especially surprising and disappointing. His withdrawal support from this important piece of legislation, which is poised to improve Middle East stability, economic opportunity, and which will disincentivize some of the region's most egregious sponsors of terror, is lamentable and will surely be received with bewilderment and disapproval by many voters in Representative Bowman's district. 
We remain committed to our ongoing dialogue with Representative Bowman and his staff and urge him to reconsider this turnaround on important policy matter. Respectfully, and this is not coming from the right-wing rabbis of the community, Rabbi Jonathan E. Blake, Westchester Reform Temple, Rabbi Howard Goldsmith, Congregation Emanuel of Westchester, Rabbi Daniel Gropper, Community Synagogue of Rye, another Reform Temple, Rabbi Benjamin Krause, SCR Academy, Rabbi Stephen Exler, Hebrew Institute of Riverdale, Orthodox and Reform coming together, and it's got to be sad, a sad situation for even those that are relatively on the left to see their representatives unable to even acknowledge some of the good, the idea that Israel could reconcile with some of its neighbors and achieve peace with some of its neighbors. And somehow that is not something that a squad or a DSA supported politician in New York can contemplate and can support and get behind. It's a sad state of affairs. So back to Mark Lamont Hill, and this is the people who the squad and AOC are defending. As we close out, as he said, you have to make choices where you want to work, Lamont Hill said, July 2019. If you want to work for a Zionist organization, you're going to get Zionist content. And no matter how vigorous you are in the newsroom, you're going to be two, three, four, 17, and maybe one powerful person not suggest going to suggest a conspiracy. Of course not. You're not saying conspiracy when you say that. All news outlets have a point of view. If your point of view competes with the point of view of the institution, you're going to have challenges. So, of course, it's the vast Jewish conspiracy that's out there to target people like AOC, to target like Jamal Bowman, to target Mark Lamont Hill. And, of course, we can't have that. It's this wokeism. It's exactly what's going on in San Francisco. And thankfully, the voters of San Francisco woke up and got rid of these clowns who were have no sense of history, pride in America. And that's it for this week here on Spit Class, here on the Knockham Single Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week. 